Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes. Please take a minute and subscribe so you're always up to date. You can also listen at thejazzsession.com. In addition to episodes of the show, thejazzsession.com features written interviews, live jazz news, and lots of jazz links. This week's guest is saxophonist and composer Brian Patnode. From his new album, As We Know It, this is Matters Not. My guest is Brian Patnode, the saxophonist, and his quartet have a CD out this year called As We Know It. It's the third of uh, Brian's CDs with the band, and every single one of them has been really well-reviewed critically. When you hear it, you'll know why, and uh, it's my pleasure to welcome Brian to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here, man. You, uh, you really seem to focus on a band sound, a group sound on these records. Can you talk about why that is? Um, I've been playing with uh, with the guitar player and the drummer from the band for... Uh, quite a long time. Um, George and I, George Muscatel, the guitar player, and I have known each other for over 10 years, I think, now. And we've uh, we've played in a lot of different situations together, and uh, Danny Welchel as well, the drummer. So when I, uh, when I first started putting together a group of my own, I knew I wanted to work with those guys, and I wanted to, uh, to have a band that, that incorporated what they could add to it. Um, we've had a little bit of a shift in, in personnel in terms of bass players, but we have somebody now um, who adds quite a bit to the band, Mike Del Preti. Um So I, I feel like I have these these great players that I can work with that um, to play the music, and I might as well feature them as much as I can. You also focus a lot on original composition on the record, and uh, I'm wondering again, 
that seems to be another intentional choice. Is that part of kind of melding this group sound, honing the group sound? Um, yeah, you know, having the opportunity to play with guys like this, um, I decided to, to try and do some writing on my own. Um, played standards for, for many years, and, and uh, with having this group together, I decided that it was uh, about time to start writing some of my own stuff and, and have these guys perform it. Uh, it's been a, it's definitely been an adventure. Some things work, some things don't, and uh, you know I'm learning as I go. I was in the car with a friend of mine when I first got this record from you, which is about ten years ago now. It seems like because it's taken me so long to actually get around to doing this interview. But uh, as soon as I put it in, the very first track came on. Uh, uh, my friend, who's a kind of a beginning jazz fan, said, "Oh wow, this is really nice," and. This is a guy who doesn't have a big history in jazz, but I think immediately kind of reacted to the fact that your music has a lot there for repeated listening, but also has a lot of kind of accessibility. Um, there's melodies and uh, there's you know playing that kind of normal folks can react to. I wonder if that's is that how you see your uh, own music. That's that's very cool. I, you know, I I think I think I I do see it that way, um, and I've definitely made a conscious effort with with many of the tunes that I write to make melodies that. Uh, that are melodic um thing a lot of these melodies have come either from me singing or from uh from just you know trying to play something on the piano and uh, my piano chops are horrible so you know they're not very noty melodies but uh yeah i definitely try and make melodies that that i feel are are as song-like as possible you know things that people can remember things that that stick with you because a lot of the my favorite music to listen to are songs just like that that have you know, sections to them or melodies to them that, that stick with me. So I'm, I'm trying to, to emulate that same style with what I do. Now, you grew up in uh, upstate New York, which is where we are at the moment. And for all the people who listen to this show who are outside of upstate New York, which is most of them, talk about the town of Schenectady, New York, and uh, the, the jazz hotbed. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Schenectady, where I grew up, um, yeah, there's not a lot going on jazz-wise. Um but the greater capital district area, um, which includes Albany and Troy and uh, Saratoga even, um, has a pretty rich history of jazz players. Um, Nick Brignola was from Troy, New York, and uh, of course, the, you know, world-renowned, incredible Barry and, and everything woodwind player. Um, he was he played here for many, many years, and um, he I think he was kind of a beacon to a lot of players that came through the area to play with him. So uh, we've we've had a pretty rich tradition of of uh, some pretty incredible jazz that happens in the city, uh, thanks to him and others as well. And so he was pretty open to having up and coming players playing with. Him. I yeah you know I I remember when I was when I was growing up um, I remember he played at Justin's a lot and he would bring in bands of people at the time that I you know you might not have been familiar with but now I mean Tom Harrell, Mike Holliber, um you know he had he had some pretty heavyweight guys that he that would come up and play with him uh, so, so it was a great opportunity to check that out when did you know that this was something that was more than just a, a hobby for you i think when i got into the ninth or 10th grade in school in high school I didn't really have anything that that i felt very strongly about but i always had music and i always felt pretty passionate about music but I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. I, I wasn't really in love with the saxophone. I kind of toyed around with drums for a while, and I was really into heavy metal. Um, but then I heard my band director played me a couple of recordings of Michael Brecker and uh, David Sanborn, 
And uh, it was really the first time I had heard jazz or, you know, the instrumental music that featured the saxophone, and I was blown away. I think that was pretty much the point where I was like, wow, I think this is really something I want to try and do and try and pursue. And so what did that mean for you? Did it mean more time uh, in the bedroom practicing? Did it mean trying to find gigs? What did it mean? Um, At that point, it kind of meant like getting as many records as I could and just listening and checking things out and, and seeing what was out there. I wasn't... I wasn't really super serious about practicing. Um, that didn't happen until I got to college, and it was college was kind of like a, a an awakening to me in, in terms of like what really needed to be done in order to make this my living and my career. So uh, that it, when I got to I went to the College of Saint Rose here in Albany. I came in as a freshman, and there was three or four like upperclassmen saxophone players that were pretty smoking players, and I was hum like instantly humbled and. and pretty much spent like four years in a practice room just you know trying to get my stuff together so when you uh just to, to dial it back just for a second when you were out there getting records to try and listen to things what how did you know what to get how did you how did you find your way around there's a lot of stuff out there there is a lot of stuff yes and this was way back in the day before the internet was uh <laughs> <laughs> um i you know i picked up a, a magazines I, I remember picking up um downbeat and jazz times and it would jazzes and I had different magazines and I remember looking through and reading different articles and reading interviews and like oh you know this guy sounds pretty interesting I should probably check out his record and I I meet I started I, w- I was really into heavy metal and uh, I started getting into more progressive metal like uh, I love Joe Satriani and Rush and kind of led me to Pink Floyd and, and stuff that was a little bit more experimental and, and so I mean as experimental as that gets and uh it kind of I bridged into jazz through like fusion, and was really into David Sanborn and Spyro Gyra and uh, the Brecker Brothers stuff. Once I got into that and read more about those guys and what their influences were, it made me go back and check out Train and Joe Henderson big time and Hank Mobley, Horace Silver, Miles. Um, so that's kind of led me in that direction. about your college experience what was that what was that like i did my undergrad at uh, college of saint rose um i did a i got a music education degree had a ton of opportunities to perform um throughout albany with a lot of different ensembles um had a, had a good teacher uh paul Ivaskovich, who uh was was pretty good was pretty strict with me in terms of uh you know turning me on to saxophone techniques that i had no idea what i was doing when i got there and um, really helped me kind of refine my approach to the instrument. It was a pretty good experience for me. 
when I graduated from St. Rose, um, I went on to the uh, University of Cincinnati, the college conservatory, to do a, a uh, started my master's out there and uh, had the good fortune to study with a, a trumpet player named Pat Harbison, who uh, kind of turned my whole world around in terms of how I approached improvisation and, and was uh, teaching the basically the David Baker's approach to uh, to bebop and uh, that was really beneficial in terms of... Can you say more about that, kind of in layman's terms? In, in layman's terms, the the approach was about putting chord tones on strong beats of the measure and resolving ideas on strong beats of the measure. And um, just it, it kind of turned my head around to, you know, once he once it was explained that way and I went back and I analyzed Charlie Parker and, and Lee Morgan and, and, and Henderson and these solos, I realized, wow, yeah, that's why this sounds the way it does and it was kind of a you know something that hadn't really been it was pretty obvious once it was was laid out that way but i hadn't really thought of it that way yeah you said you had a lot of performing opportunities in your undergrad experience as well how did those performing opportunities come about was it sitting in places or um you know it wasn't a lot of jazz playing it was uh there's a, a pretty healthy blues and rock scene in albany and and uh because I was so into Michael Brecker and David Sanborn and that stuff, it was a pretty easy transition getting into that scene. Many of the musicians around here, there, there weren't like a lot of younger horn players at the time. There were a few of us at St. Rose, so we kind of all traded, you know, connections and, and uh, gigs. And I don't think I did much jazz until like my junior or senior year. But uh, it was it was a good thing to, to play in these different styles that I, at the time, I didn't know anything about. I Blues, I knew nothing about. And... Uh, I got a, a you know a small education in that style and a little bit in, in playing in uh, in R and B bands and it, it was a good good experience. And are all those things informing what you're doing with your own playing now. I would think so, probably, yeah. <laughs> so you came back from Cincinnati. You came right back to the Albany area. I did. How easy was it to to make a go of it as a saxophonist when you came back? Uh, it took a while to to kind of get back into the scene and make connections and even. Even after just being gone for a little over a year, the, the the scene had changed. You know, the scene changes. So it took some time to to make connections. I I, uh, I remember working a couple day jobs that actually turned out to be quite good. Uh, I worked at the a bookstore and the music department. Met tons of people that way. Made lots of connections. That's how I met Danny Welchel. He was working there too. So it it, it was uh, it took time. Um, I did the same the same approach I did when I was an undergrad. I played with a lot of rock and roll bands and and the whole time though I was trying to to start my own project starting you know trying to do jazz and things that you know music that I was really passionate about and so when did the the quartet more or less as we know it start to start to take shape I believe it was in 2002 more or less I was offered a, a weekly residency at Justin's here in Albany which is a jazz club on on uh, on Lark Street kind of like the uh, the entertainment hub of of Albany and I was given a Sunday night the enviable night of the week do whatever you want this is you know you can do have a gig and so after a couple weeks of of rotating some players around I I was like now you know I I really want to work with George I really want to work with Danny George had been working with bass player Ryan Lucas and some of his own projects and brought Ryan in and the four of us got together and George was was doing a lot of writing at the time we just went from there and what's the effect of having a weekly gig, a constant weekly gig? What effect does that have on the music, on the band? It makes us all hate each other. <laughs> no, no. Um, it really shapes the music 
quite differently. Um, I was just I was just saying to someone the other day, uh, th- these three records have all this music on them that if you heard it today, it sounds completely different because we we play a lot of the same music week after week and we try different things with it and, and make it sound different, you know, and, and it, having a, a weekly gig like this and a, and a residency has given me the opportunity to 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 try out different ideas and to to really hone the, the sound of of the band and and what you know what I was looking for in, in terms of the group sound, um, it, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, it's it's amazing to I'm super I'm really really fortunate to to be able to have the opportunity to do this. It seems like it creates a pretty rare environment in the studio nowadays too. When you went in to record as we know it, my guess is this is not the first time. These guys had seen this music, right? <laughs> no, no, we had we had played this um, some of the tunes on the record. We had been playing for almost a year before that. Some of it was fairly new when we recorded it, but I made sure to, to schedule the session after we had worked out the kinks in it, you know. But even since then, I mean, this was we recorded this last summer, and now the tunes have kind of taken on a whole new life. So many of the people that I interview for this show talk about, you know, putting the album together. They find the guys they want to play with. They have a rehearsal the day before, if they're lucky, and they go in and record the whole record in one day. It seems like you guys have really have a chance to put not only your own stamp on it, but you've also worked out what's maybe even more important, which is the interactions among the members of the group, I'm, I'm guessing, right? There's not a whole lot of question about who's going to do what and how. Not really, no. Um, on this record, we had a, a pianist join us, Dave Payette on most of the tracks so with five guys we kind of had to delineate okay when he's soloing you're going to need the comp you're going to need the layout you know so we had the opportunity to do that but uh i wanted to keep some level of spontaneity into into what was going on um in the studio are there some high points on as we know it some things that when you hear them now you say wow that really that worked out even better than i anticipated yeah you know the the last track has actually become my favorite um which is called Gil Barney Wins the Race. My father was studying to become a Catholic priest, which apparently didn't work <laughs> out. When he was doing that, he was uh, secretly racing stock cars. And secretly from the, the the folks that he was in school with, nobody knew. His mom didn't know. My grandmother didn't know. And uh, in order to do this, he had to go under an assumed name. So he, he raced by the name of Gil Barney. And uh, I remember hearing that when I was a kid and thinking, geez, that's just, that's a strange name. Why would you pick that? So I've always had it in the back of my head that, you know, if I ever do anything for my father, I want to incorporate this, this name in there. So I was decided to write a song that was kind of in tribute to that and uh, make it a little bit quirky and, you know, kind of uh, 
have a little bit of element of the church in there, a little bit of uh, frustration of, you know, being a, a undercover race car driver. So that, that tune, uh, it kind of has a special place in my heart because it's for my father, and uh, I enjoy listening to it. Um, George gets to cut loose a little bit on some, some distortion and some funky uh, wah-wah guitar concoction that we came up with in the studio he came up with in the studio so i'm pretty happy about that one know why your dad chose the name Gil Barney? I don't. I don't think he does either, but uh, <laughs> he's, he's pretty happy about the song, and, uh, and my, anytime we have a, a show, a big show where a lot of my family is there, I make sure I tell the whole story, and they love it. And did Gil Barney ever win a race? I think so, because in the, uh, in the inside of the CD, there's a picture of Gil Barney with the, with the checkered flag, so apparently he must have won some race somewhere. <laughs> You know, actually, uh, Undercover Race Car Driver is a pretty good name for uh, maybe a future record. Or There's the sequel. Well, that's, yeah. that's right. That's part two. In addition to playing in the quartet, you're also uh, a remarkably busy musician in a lot of other places, including um, with a great Latin band that plays all around the Capital Region. Talk about that. Um, I've had the good fortune of being a member of Alex Torres's Latin Orchestra for the past eh, um, seven, eight, nine years. I can't remember when I joined that band. That was one of the first bands I joined when I moved back to the area. Talking about styles of music that I had no idea. I when I joined that band, I had no idea what merengue was or plena or bombo or any any different style, and it was just all Latin music to me. And uh, it was it was a crash course education. Um, still learning every gig, um, especially the merengues, which I don't know if you're familiar with the. Uh, it's pretty demanding saxophone work in the merengue yeah. stuff, and uh, 
it, it's been a great opportunity. Uh, the band has uh, has done quite a bit of traveling. Um, we got to play the Montreal Jazz Fest a few years ago, which was incredible. Um, we've done festivals up and down the East Coast. Done, I've done three or four records with the band so far, and I, we're starting to work on another record. Um, so it's it's been a great opportunity. Talk more about that Montreal experience. Why was it incredible? I remember going up. We were playing on an outdoor stage. We were one of the, the concerts that was free and open to the public. And we went out for sound check and just kind of looked like any other stage that we'd played outdoors. And a few people milling around, whatever. Did the sound check. Everything was good. We went backstage. And, you know, probably about an hour passed. We came back out to do the show and there was like 12,000 people there. <laughs> And it just was mind-numbing that, that, you know, that there was that many people that had assembled that quickly to hear us. And uh, it was a great show. I mean, the energy level was off the chart, and we had a great time. What kind of crowds come out to hear you at Justin's and other places you play? It seems to me like your your music is the kind of music that could draw people more our age into the jazz world. Does that happen? We definitely get a, a mixture of people that come out. Um, there's definitely the college-aged folks and, and hipsters that are that are into that style of thing, but you also get. Um, I think there's a something that appeals to the jazz, you know, specialty listeners and people that that are really into jazz because we'll, you know, we'll, in addition to to doing all the original stuff, we'll throw in some standards and do some different arrangements on on that as well. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know if I could if I could pigeonhole it and say that we, you know appeal to this crowd or that crowd it's it's usually a pretty mixed bag well that's probably exactly what you're looking for right yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean this is not a music that can really survive for very much longer on the the kind of standard jazz crowd so. true true and in addition to all the the music making that you're doing you're also uh the man behind a jazz website in this capital region right yeah um a few years ago i put together um a site called albanyjazz.com to uh, to kind of help give a presence to the the, the scene around here. Um, there there really is a lot of uh, there really are a lot of different musicians around playing musician playing jazz music at a at a really high level. And uh, I know there's a lot of listeners in the area, so I wanted to kind of put something on the web that would you know give a listing of who's playing where, what's going on. These are the different clubs that that have jazz. These are a lot of the musicians that play jazz and uh, it started off kind of small, and, and it's grown over the years. I have a, a bunch of people that, that help out by contributing concert reviews and CD reviews and uh, a p- couple people that go out and take pictures of events, and um, musicians keep emailing their information in. So there's a, a very long list of, of players in the area that, that play, and uh, it, it's it's been a good resource for a lot of people. I get um, a lot of people telling me that they've, they've gotten gigs because of the site and uh, they've they've hooked up with other musicians because of the site and uh it's it's a lot of work but it's it's benefits for the for the scene at large i think are very well worth it i guess i'm actually uh pleasantly but still surprised nonetheless to hear that there's such a good jazz scene in albany it's uh like so many cities in upstate it's just a place that seems to be off the map you know in the in the there be dragons section on the new york state map <laughs> but I'm, I'm happy to hear that there's so much going on up here yeah, there, there are um, there are a lot of players. I I don't have much to compare it to, having only lived in Cincinnati as the only other major city in 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 my life. But uh, I mean, as far as I can tell, the scene is pretty healthy, and I've heard from a lot of players that are traveling that that come here and and may either make their home here or they they pass through that that the scene is pretty healthy in comparison to where they're coming from. 
what caused you to to make a stand here? I, so many folks just decide as soon as college is over, okay, I'm going straight to New York City and I'm going to get into the rat race. Why did you decide to stay here in Albany? Um, my whole family is here. Um, I I like the area. I'm able to work, and, and New York definitely has its uh, allure, you know, but I've I've hooked up with some, some great musicians who are great friends as well, and I'm making music, and I'm happy. So I, it's works for me. Well, the album is called As We Know It. It's uh, fantastic, and I uh, really urge folks to check it out. And uh, Brian, thank you very much for being on the Jazz Session. Thank you for having me, Jason. That's Brian Patnode and his quartet from the new album, As We Know It. You've been listening to The Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes. Please take a minute and subscribe so you're always up to date. You can also listen at thejazzsession.com. In addition to episodes of the show, thejazzsession.com features written interviews, live jazz news, and lots of jazz links. The site also features a link to the Jazz Session Cause of the Month. This month, it's Tipitina's Foundation, helping to restore the musical culture of New Orleans and Louisiana. Please click the link and give them some money. Thanks. For more interviews and reviews, visit allaboutjazz.com, the world's largest jazz website. You'll find my writing there beside that of many other jazz experts and fans. 
You can contact me via email at jason at thejazzsession.com or call the show at 585-473-5304. The Jazz Session's mailing list is available at thejazzsession.com. When you join, you'll get periodic updates about the guests who appear on this show, plus other news from the world of Jason Crane. The theme music for the show is by the Respect Sextet, online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. Thanks so much for listening. Remember to support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening. Bye.